Hello and welcome back to the Beta Sandwich Science Podcast, your source for news and trends in the molecular biosciences. This is episode number 55 for August 14th, 2014. On today's show, we learn that plastics are bad and they might hurt your boy bits. We ask the question, do you really need to cut back on that salt? And we get an update on Ebola and how... uh, how these drugs are working to, to help fix you, which we didn't know much about before, but we know quite a bit about now. So, that's that. Who do we got with us today? I think we've got Christian Copley-Salem. He's a graduate student at the University of Nevada, Reno, in molecular pharmacology. No, I'm not. We- <laughs> what? I swear to God. <laughs> uh, time. It's it, every time, and it, you still get freaked out by it. Typically, you say the response is it never gets old, but believe me. It got, it's always been old. <laughs> that's awesome. I think you're the one that's old. Yes, yes, I know. I'm just being curmudgeon. Um, we have Carolina Balkenbush. She is also an alumnut. An al- alumnus? Alumnut. Alumnut. She's an alumnut of UNR as well, but she's coursed down in Las Vegas now, and she is a hardcore registered dietitian doling out nutritional advice for the entire school district now, if I believe. Yep, as of two weeks ago. Well, a week and a half. How's it going so far? It is uh, very different from my last job. But Uh, it's it's kind of, it's it's sort of, honestly, it's kind of like being an accountant. Um, I've been creating menus. And so our school district has 22 regular menus and 75 special diet menus that need to be recreated every month. And so it's like going through a spreadsheet, making sure that you get every single color vegetable every week and in the right portions and get the right amount of sodium and the right number of calories, like within a pretty narrow range. So it's, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. And then when you work with all the people who have to deliver the food to the schools, you have to make sure you're not serving certain foods on certain days because, you know, it won't fit on the truck or you know, things won't keep over the weekend if they're delivered on a Friday and served on a Monday. So it's an interesting puzzle. It's been it's logistics. Um, a lot of it's yes. You know, wow. Now, do you have, you, do you have to deal with the um, not just the caloric and nutritional value and all that stuff? Do you also have to deal with um, uh, with cost analysis and well, you know, uh, Brussels sprouts are too expensive, sort of thing? Yes. Yeah. Uh, actually, and yesterday I went to a food show. Uh, and so I got to meet with all the vendors from around the country, PepsiCo, Kellogg's, Tyson. And what really blew my mind is I've only been working there for a little over a week. And before I even went into the exposition hall, people were coming up to me and they already knew what I looked like. They knew my name and they had researched my hobbies so that way they could try to sell things to uh, me. <laughs> this is insane. You're in a position of power now. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? Maybe they're listening to this uh, podcast, which would be awesome. It would be awesome. I wonder, like, yeah, they're, do, have they done the thing where they're like, Oh, well, it really sucks. I, I had these two tickets to Hawaii for the week, and you can't <laughs> use them, and they're just going to go to waste. And oh, Still waiting for that one. Still waiting for that one, yes. Um, so, cool. Uh, I am, uh, as you yes, most, introduce yourself, please. most likely know, I, I am Scott Barnett. I'm a Ph.D. candidate in molecular pharmacology alongside Christian at the University of Nevada, Reno. No, you're um, not. And <laughs> How dare you? Um, and... <laughs> and um, uh, oh, uh, Carolina, I'm going to ask you if possible. Is it possible to get the mic closer to your mouth or something? Oh, yeah. You is are this, quiet. Is this better? That is much better. Okay. And it will save me a lot of time in post having to uh, isolate your voice and bump your bump your volume. Um, 
I wanted to point out a wonderful email we got, which I've shared with you guys, but of course not the larger you or we in the grand sense. Uh, I'm just so in love with this email. It's the favorite thing I've ever gotten. Um, and it's a little bit of a self-licking ice cream cone here where we're going to feel good here. So this is from Eleanor in the UK. And uh, Eleanor, is is that from quote, quote the raven, my Eleanor? Is that? Eleanor? Is Eleanor in that? I don't know. Well, Eleanor, we love you nonetheless. Um, This is what she wrote. Hey, uh, I'm a biochemistry undergraduate studying at Imperial College London. Just thought I'd let you guys know that I've been listening to your podcast every night before bed. God bless you. And it's reignited my love for science and made me far more interested in my degree than I ever was. Thank you so much. You guys rock. No, Eleanor, you rock. That's what, that's the fuel in our tank. That's what gets the that's what gets the train moving forward. Our emails like that. We love those more than anything. So please pay us our currency in lovely thank you notes like that, and we'll yeah, keep so going. Thank you, Eleanor. That's very sweet. It is very sweet, and uh, it's exactly if you were I, if you were to describe why I started the, the why I wanted to start the podcast, like it was that is a much more eloquent way than I could have ever said it. Just to get people passionate about science and the cool things that are going on out there. And in this case, it actually helped someone make a difference. It's just wonderful. Good times. Good times. Well, to be honest, I'm on the podcast for the sex and the drugs, mm-hmm. but I don't know if you guys have other motivations. I know. And, uh, and Carolina's here for the rock and roll and I'm just here for the ride. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, cool things. Uh, I just wanted to point out, have you guys seen this, the tree of 40 fruit.com? No. It is no. A, a, an artist slash uh, a amateur botanist basically made a tree where he grafted 40 different types of fruit plants onto the same tree. So one tree produces 40 different types of fruit, and it's actually living and viable right now. What? Uh, talk about a weird – yeah, you, you can graft plants together, you know, oh, and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and you can make this work. And he, man, he managed to get 40 different fruits on a single tree, and they are all producing fruit. And I just think that would be – that's kind of the, the future of designer trees, right? Like you, you, it's like, oh, I want an apple tree. Oh, so you want 83 apples like every two weeks that you'll never eat? Like, no, get your own tree of 40, and you basically – have your own. I, I like think it. the most impressive part about that is having enough fruits that can grow in the same like temperature and right. range. Because a lot of times they won't fruit if they're not in the perfect range. So that's oh. impressive to find 40 of them that will all grow together. It is especially Speaking of which, I've, I've learned that lesson the hard way here, which is um, in Reno, it's been really hot the last few weeks, uh, above 90s almost every single day. And... Uh, I have a garden in my backyard, and uh, out of nowhere and beautifully, my small Japanese cucumber plant just, it just, it went nuts. Like, feed me, see more. Like, overnight, the thing just exploded into this, this just oversweeping plant of cucumber. And it started producing the cucumbers, and I'm all very excited. I'm like, ah, oh, just took a little heat, and now she's ready to rock and roll. Went and had the first cucumber a couple nights ago, and it's, it's, it's as bitter as like like as like an IPA. Like it's a cucumber. And I was like, oh man, what's wrong with these? And we Googled it. And apparently with a lot of plants, if they're not within that range you spoke of, this in this case, the cucumber produces a, a bitter, I forget what the chemical was, but it, it's a bitter byproduct, just has to do with a heat stress response. And the cucumber looks great. 
it uh there are lots of them and they all they all taste like um like bitter badness so boo bitter badness boo boo yeah. that'll be what all vegas cucumbers taste like <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, it goes to show you like how hard real gardening is is that like mm-hmm. it's like well you can put them in shade and then you can put like mulch at the bottom to prevent the soil from getting hot and it, it just becomes a very labor intensive thing very quickly so good times you guys do anything fun else uh it's been two weeks well christian i know you just got back from that trip yeah i was in virginia with my family um hanging out it was fun it's one thing you know you go out to see your family and there's like my brother his wife their two kids my mom my dad and every one of them wants your attention right so you literally spend two weeks being with people playing handball with you um i mean it's awesome i love them all and i totally had a great time being with them you know i I don't get to hang out with my brother much and we get along really well and stuff but it's just like after a while, I was just like, "Oh, just let me lay down for an afternoon." It's just exhausting. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, there's definitely was... a difference between a vacation and a visit. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah and a visit should. I think the perfect family visit is like three days, and then after that, <laughs> it's uh, it was good seeing you. Um, and uh, we'll do this again soon. But uh, you know what? A, a perfect visit for me would be one day with them. One day without, one day with them, one day with I could alternate like that for literally eternity right? and be perfectly happy. <laughs> I, I have this sort of I need my alone time thing. And this is, it happened to me in Italy when we had sharing rooms. After like four days, I was like, you all need to get out. <laughs> like, uh-huh. <laughs> I need space. I know. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, other than that. Oh, I have a question that I'm going to ask on the air, so to speak. Um. Do we use segment music anymore? We so uh, uh, the only segment music we've been using is the is the science blast segment music um, as a placeholder until uh, we dial that in. Which one is that? Do 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 science okay. blast. Nice, <laughs> that's fun. Okay, just I was going to announce that the big thing that happened to me this week was that I bought a new guitar amp. Um, it's like a thirty watt orange guitar head that's really really loud um and and i was gonna i'm sure you're i'm sure the people who live above (laughs) next to you below you are i just love with you right now below yeah Um, no it's it's like on the second volume notch and it's ridiculously loud uh, Um, a 30 watt head will run speakers on stage like if you're if you go see metallica or whatever playing live they're using 30 watt heads like that's how loud they are um (laughs) I would but, just put it, I'd start putting rounds through my ceiling if you lived yeah, above me. My, yeah, no, probably. He, I don't think he's even there. I don't think there's anyone below me. But the moral of the story being, I could record a whole bunch of new stuff because I can actually mic this amp directly instead of using that crappy digital stuff. All so right. well, we'll if we need more music, a, I will make it. That is a preview of coming attractions. Woohoo! Speaking of which, let's move into Science Blast. Boop, 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 boop. But, oh, that caught me off guard. It, I just throw one out there. <laughs> we didn't say you like you had to like create like a like a dissertation in 1.3 seconds. You could just gotta throw a pew out there. It sounded like yours was water dripping. Uh, well, I wasn't sure what noise I was making, and then I decided to try <laughs> to make it. Neither was an, anyone else. I, want, I, I, I landed after my first two noises. I'm like, that's a sonar. So I tried to do a sonar <laughs> boom. on the fly. I was like, boom, boom. 
Oh my gosh, oh, I'm sure everyone's out. thrilled by this. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> First story, uh, I wanted to give an update about this whole Ebola thing. Um, I know uh, we talked a lot about it in the, the chemistry and science and biochemistry and immunology and all that fun stuff before, but a lot's come to light since then, especially with this new drug called ZMAP, and uh, I just wanted to spend a couple minutes because it's actually really fascinating. So the deaths from Ebola in Africa reached, uh, as of this article, which is two days old, was over 1,000 people with over 2,000 cases. And uh, if all the graphs you see, are, they're the scary graphs, which is you see, like, like the different countries and you see the, uh, the cases going up on the, on the bar graph, or not on the bar graph, on the line graph. And then all of a sudden you start seeing that hockey stick maneuver or the exponential growth in cases. And that's kind of where we are right now. And so this thing's either going to, like, dry itself out or it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Um, we talked about how there were several drug candidates out there before, and the one, uh, the two Americans that came back, most people have seen that on TV or read it, uh, that, that they got a, a, this kind of special experimental drug. And that drug, which is uh, not FDA approved, but the World Health Organization says you're good to go to use it if you want, it's called ZMAP by a, a group called MAP Pharmaceutical in San Diego. So the essence of how this drug works is pretty cool. So it blocks the virus that would normally, uh, the virus would normally cause this kind of instant immune response uh, um, that, that was kind of paralyzing the immune system. So normally the body responds to infections by producing, there's a key uh, a factor that your innate immune system produces called interferon gamma. And this is kind of like, um, this is a cytokine um, that, your, that your cells spit out and it tells your white blood cells, it tells anything that's in your body that's that's default defined to to deal with an infection it says get in gear the craps hit the fan power up we need to go and that's what this interfering gamma here is doing and um it's really important especially with viruses so um it's also a very important activator of macrophages including there's if you know anything about immunology is a class two major histopality uh, histocompatibility complex mhc complex and uh, that's essentially something that the uh, on the outside of a cell that the uh, it binds to um uh, like the virus in this case and it presents it to other cells saying hey look at this thing i'm holding in my hand right here uh this is bad you need to go find this and kill it now so the the virus prevented that so there's a guy named gaia oh my goodness what's this last name uh amara singhe i'm gonna go with that uh, from the University of Washington School of Medicine in St. Louis, um, Missouri. And he and his team found that this Ebola, the Ebola virus has a substance called VP24. It's a protein. And this VP24 is blocking that, um, that interferon gamma response. So the interferon gamma tells the immune system to kick in gear. VP24, which is a protein made by Ebola, says, hey, interferon gamma, I'm going to make it so you don't work. And nobody knows that a bad guy's in the house and is trying to kill your body. Um, so um, identifying this protein was really a good first step, but and, and being able to attack this VP24 might even be a good second step, but the problem is, is that your body can still make and replicate, uh, the, the virus can still replicate even if you knock down this VP24. Um, but the, what they found is that if you can knock down this VP24, it might just give your, your immune system enough of an upper hand to take down the virus before it proliferates to the point where it's going to kill you. So, um, so using this drug is probably pretty time sensitive. Uh, yes, because if you're past if, if 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 you're past the threshold, so to speak, you know what I mean. Then then the virus is going to already proliferate to a point where it's probably not going to do you a lot of good. 
Um, it's a mixture of three monoclonal antibodies, um, and they were. This is what was used to treat the two Americans, and actually, some small amounts of it had actually been sent out to Liberia to to test on people out there as well. So um, the way these antibodies work is that you create an antibody. You let's say you infect a mouse with um, Ebola, then you. Um, uh, that mouse is going to make antibodies to that Ebola. Now, this is ultimately going to kill the mouse because it's a very dangerous virus. But these these antibodies are trying to attack and identify it. And antibodies are extremely good at, at identifying very specific targets. In this case, it's going to be the Ebola. They pull those antibodies out of the mouse, do a little tweak to make them so that your, your the human body can tolerate them, put them in the human body. Those, those uh, antibodies do exactly what they were supposed to do in the mouse, but too late for the mouse, which is find those... Ebola viruses bind to them. Your body will attack them, clear it out, and um, and and it's good to go. There's actually quite a few. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, um, Antibody-mediated uh, drugs these days uh, for autoimmune disease and arthritis and all these different things. Um, uh, so these are becoming quite popular. But this is what Map Biopharmacal did. It was so different than everyone else, and I didn't even know about this till I read into this. Everyone's if you've seen any articles on it, they mentioned tobacco plants quite often. And again, I didn't know you could do this, but people have been doing this for about 15 years and drugs are just starting to come online with this. Essentially, it's very expensive and time consuming to make these antibodies in animals. Um, you have to use a lot of animals. Uh, you get very small quantities of the antibody. They're very um, temperature sensitive. There's a whole host of reasons why it's extremely expensive to do an antibody therapy. But what they found is that the section of the antibody, it's a very, very small part called the hypervariability region, and it's a, it's, a, it's a tiny part of the antibody that binds to and locks on to whatever antigen, whatever bad thing in your body is. In this case, it would be Ebola. So they found that they can take, uh, they, can, they can basically put the code for that, that hypervariable region, put it into a virus, infect the tobacco plant with the virus, and now the, it, the, the virus will insert that portion of the gene into its own genome via the virus and into the plant's genome via the virus. And now the plant's just going to keep spitting out um, this small section of the antibody. Um, it's very hard or probably near impossible for the plant to make the entire antibody because it's so big and complex and it's not being done in, in a mammal and all these sort of things. But it can make the small portion that binds to the Ebola very efficiently. And so they're just, they have, these, they have these acres of tobacco plants now that they're just grinding up and pulling out the thing, and you don't have to hurt any animals to do it, and you can get lots of quantities of, uh, of these things, and these are called recombinant antibody fragments. So uh, it's been super effective, and uh, these, these um, is probably really one of the next big things in all of science, not just for Ebola. Uh, the fact is that if we can make cheap antibody fragments that can knock things down, autoimmune disease, uh, even if you have an active disease like... Um, um, uh, vir viral diseases and whatnot, this could have a huge impact on it. So pretty cool stuff. Uh, the question I have for you guys, though, is that a lot of the hubbub is, you know, should we be rushing out and taking what is essentially a non-FDA-approved, uh, really non-FDA-approved, it's not like it was in phase three human trials here, they tried it on monkeys and stuff, but never on people, and should we just be injecting people with this drug where the the efficacy and more importantly the safety has not really been established on any level you know it's easy to say well they're dying of ebola you know who cares you know they're they're dead anyways you might as well do the best thing but you kind of get on this slippery slope type thing where you're going to give you, you're opening the door to uh to to 
kind of backdoor a very established method to determine a drug safety and efficacy. So I don't know. Do you guys think it's cool? Whatever. Just they're dying anyways. Give them the drug. Yep. Uh, well, it's a 50% death rate right now. 53. Right. I think was the last number, which is actual on the ground death rate. Um, I, honestly, I would take it. I think that's a that's probably a better question for me to ask mm-hmm. for the answer because I don't know if anyone if everyone would answer that way, but I would take it. It's yeah, hard. Do, do, yeah. do, do patients have a choice of whether they want to take the? Oh, absolutely. But the it's you're you're putting someone in a very compromised position, which is yeah, it's a fifty fifty if you're going to die, and that's pretty rough. But people inherently trust doctors, and part of the reason they trust them is because of this very established pathway we have to to ensure the drug you're going to get is going to help and not hurt you or at minimum do nothing uh, negative to you um so so of course people are going to say yes give me anything you have please 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 but because it hasn't really been tested on 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 people it could have horrible side effects and it could maybe not just kill you but it may cause a some weird uh, I wouldn't say mutation of the virus, but it could cause something that that changes the transmission rate of the virus. All these things that would be tested, and and we're kind of just throwing this mm-hmm. out there, hoping to help a few people, um, you know, without knowing the consequences of that. And you know, it, yeah, that's an interesting concern because you know, on on one hand, you have the informed consent, you know, and the person can make a decision based on the information the doctor gives them. But if they don't know how it's changing transmission rate, and you know, the, there could be a greater danger of it. Well, and spreading you're dealing with rapidly. desperate people. Desperate people will do anything. You know what I mean? I mean, jeez, yeah. I mean, people they'll pay thousands of dollars to get stem cells, fake stem cells in Mexico injected into their spine. People do this all the time because they're grasping for something that may help them. Um, so. Yeah, so I mean, do you, I'd still do you have a different it. take on it? What do you think? I, yeah, I, I absolutely lean towards yes. I mean, I think the chance of this making the disease worse somehow, or not just in in the 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 person, the infected person, but maybe a transmission thing, I think is is really low. Um, and if this helps push the drug to get cleared much faster uh ultimately get fda clearance faster then you know that's a good thing too i don't know i mean it's not a it's it's hard to say no and it's not that big of an argument but it does certainly lay the track where where in the future you know next time it will be something that's not as deadly as ebola but now we still want to do it with another and it just where does it end in it's it's a slippery slope that's all i'm saying cool yeah what do you got christian um so there is a lot of sort of poor science that goes into um particular media and or i'll call them whack job ideas about um environmental toxins and things getting into your body and causing you know any number of weird effects um the one I can think of specifically is estrogen. Mm, um, soybeans. That, okay. So Scott and I, having taken this particular class, we know that, you know, overdosing on estrogen-like compounds may not be the best idea in the universe. However, there are people who say that, you know, the fact that we put vegetable oil, which is soybeans, um, 
on food causes children to be gay. And I mean, any number of weird, wacko ideas that are totally unsubstantiated. And there hasn't been a lot of research on this type of stuff because first we didn't think about it till a few years ago. And um, secondly, it's, it's difficult to research because anytime you do a study with um, human beings where they ingest or are exposed to something, you can't expose them to something that may be toxic. So, you know, you end up with a lot of research that is kind of epi epidemiological of observation studies. You know, this group of people spends more time around this type of thing. And so we're going to test one variable of their lives and see if it's different from people who don't spend that much time around it. Um, anybody in science knows that that doesn't really tell you that there is a problem. It tells you that there's a correlation and um, it's hard without specific cellular mechanisms to be able to say this for surely is causing this instead of just being correlated with it. Um, however, the news media loves to report and everybody knows I have a, I have a hard on against the media reporting science poorly. Um, <laughs> And this is one of those things that you get those kind of media reports. Um, you get headlines like, you know, drinking water containing estrogen turns men into women or something, you know, some ridiculous, over-exaggerated yeah. or completely off-base kind of headline. Um, so anytime I see a headline that that looks reasonable, I, I kind of want to point it out since I'm always the negative person about the media. Um, We're waiting with bated breath. I know, and I've got this big lead up, and here we go. So I found the Science Daily article called Reduced Testosterone Tied to Endocrine Disrupting Chemical Exposure. And this is for, um, in reference to, I'm going to say phthalates. It's a really weird word. Um, it's spelled P-H-T-H-A-L-A-T-E-S which is phthalate, phthalate, something like that. Uh -huh. I'm not actually sure how it's pronounced, so we'll just go with phthalate because it sounds funny. Um, but what researchers have found is that in a correlational study, they found that testosterone levels were reduced in certain populations in correlation or in inverse relationship with their phthalate exposure. What does that mean in English? Okay, what that means in English is that the more phthalate metabolites they found in these people's urine, which is what they were investigating, the less testosterone they had. So where's this phthal phthalic symbol phthalate coming from? Um, well, it's, it's the PVC. Ah. And what you did, though, was you asked a question that I couldn't find an answer to. Where the people in the study, where their major exposure was from, because they weren't testing their exposure. They were testing the result of their exposure. So their test for phthalate so exposure was P urine levels. Is PVC known to leach phthalate? or, or Well, it's, they, they make water bottles out of it. Uh-huh. Any soft plastic 
probably has it has this in it um flexible you know water bottles um let's see here there's a list wall coverings uh flooring wire cable coated fabrics roofing um those are all things I enjoy to lick. Medical is it, devices. Is uh-huh. thermal paper receipts on the list? Uh, it is not on this list, but this is by well, no means. Where did you exhaustive. pull that one? Did you do you like to lick thermal <laughs> receipt paper? No, no, no. I was, I was just reading about a month ago in Consumer Reports how they found that people who um, who are exposed to oh, uh, what is it the uh, BPA uh-huh. get most of their BPA exposure actually from re- touching receipts, not from water bottles. They say that, that 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 handling receipts for two hours will expose you to more um, BPA than drinking from a plastic water bottle for years. Oh, geez, that's insane. Um, so I was just wondering if so, Christian. If I hear you right, uh, many plastics and and things we touch every day contain this phthalate. Uh, they the leap of logic a little bit is how, well. How is it getting into our system, and how detrimental is it, uh, or how how um, how likely is just mild handling of something to get really clinically significant amounts of this in your body? But if it does get in your body through detect by detecting your uh, your phthalate in your your urine, it does decrease your testosterone significantly. Is this is that what they're saying? Correct. Well, I like this. The reason that I pointed this article out is because I like what they say. Um, they said based on the in. in experimental design it limits the conclusions we can draw so our results there this is their quote our results support the hypothesis that environmental exposure to endocrine disrupting chemicals such as phthalates could be contributing to the trend of declining testosterone related disorders um so yeah it it could be a problem this particular study isn't going to tell us that it is or isn't but it is another step in that direction. It's also interesting to note that they only found a decrease in testosterone um, in boys ages 6 to 12 and women and men ages 40 to 60. Huh. Um, so that's an that's interesting... Yeah. Well, boys between 6 and 12 with low testosterone is bad juju. Right. Okay. Pretty clinical so, I mean, phase. Right. Right. I don't know if they focused in on that, but that though, that's what this article says, that that's where they found the problems. And it's just interesting that there's, you know, that doesn't seem to be consistent. You would think if it was reducing testosterone directly that it would be doing so at all ages. I'm anything. I am not an anti-chemical kook at all, believe me. I'm not right, in right. the least. But the larger point, I think if I were to take something away from this that I would I would – put in my back pocket as something to remember, which is we do introduce these chemicals, which over short and often long time studies do not show significant detrimental effects. Um, but these are chemicals that have been largely created from whole cloth. That is, they did not exist naturally in the environment before. So to make a broad assumption just through a few years of testing that we know we can say definitively that they're not going to have a negative effect on the body uh, is a pretty overreaching statement in my opinion now whether phthalate is actually causing problems with testosterone and, and that are real and, and can actually cause you know negative effects on on these boys and these older people uh sure that needs to be that's yet to be determined but it's not unreasonable in my mind to be very cautious and to be 
even resistant to taking in a lot of chemicals that you don't know really how they're going to affect you. Now, the other side of that coin is is that there are plenty of very natural things in the environment that are perfectly healthy in small amounts and can be very bad to you in large amounts. So the the, the flip side of the coin is that, yes, it, this, this is true of almost anything, but it's I don't think you're kooky by definition if you are weary of taking a, a man-made chemical that does not exist in nature, using it in mass quantities where it can be absorbed into the body somehow, and to not be concerned about that. I understand that that's a valid concern people have. Yeah, no, and I totally, I don't disagree with what you're saying um, per se, although I, I think it's important to point out that just because it doesn't occur in nature doesn't make it more likely to be unhealthy. Uh, I mean, agreed, but it does. There are there are some more base unknowns about it going into it, right? It, um, it doesn't occur in a living organism, so we don't know if it's you know by nature by naturally saying something occurs in a living organism, it's probably not toxic to all living organisms. Right. Although snake venom exists in snakes, and there's if you did a snake with snake venom, it, it would hurt it. Of course. So, My point being though is that you're you know, over a million years of evolution. If you you are much more likely of to have come in contact with a naturally occurring chemical uh, in which your body could spend a lot of time learning how to deal with it versus something it's never seen before and all of a sudden it's being introduced to it. Um, that's all I'm saying there. And and it's to go with the kook thing where I'm going against the kooks now is the thing what kooks do is they'll take something that seems foreign and scary to them that they don't know anything about and they will draw their own wrong conclusions and they'll stick right. to them dogmatically uh, you know, the whole autism and mercury and all that sort of stuff thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, that's the bad way you can go with the kooky thing. Having a healthy distrust and in, 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 in to be worried about something is fine, but don't draw conclusions just because you get a spidey sense of, about something. That's all I'll say about that. So. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Thank you, Christian. No problemo. Miss Balkenbush, and could you please bring the mic closer to your mouth? Yes, again? sorry. It's like practically in my mouth now. <laughs> I guess I'm just really quiet today. Okay, so I was reading in the Wall Street Journal today that there is a new study out that questions the validity of uh, recommendations to decrease sodium intake, uh, which is very interesting since I've been working with this a lot recently in the school district. Um, This year, new sodium restrictions came into effect um, under the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act of 2010. Basically, school lunches have to be uh, have to contain fewer than 1,420 milligrams of sodium in high school diets. And that restriction is going to drop down to below a 1,000, I believe, in, in the next few years. Um, so that's a pretty severe sodium restriction. I thought for like, how much sodium should a normal adult have a day? Um, okay, so American Heart Association recommends below 2,300 milligrams a day, which is basically a teaspoon of salt. Okay. Um and, and you have to realize that, that there's a lot of salt in foods. It's, it's kind of hidden in there. It doesn't just come from a salt shaker. Uh, and if you have if you have high blood pressure or if you've had a stroke or a heart attack, that recommendation drops down to below 1,500 milligrams a day. So pretty low. Um, the, the problem is that most of the research backing this recommendation has come from studies looking at people who already have high blood pressure or who've already suffered a stroke. And, and they do show an improvement in their blood pressure levels when they reduce sodium. But there hasn't been really uh, any evidence showing a reduction in cardiovascular risk if you lower your sodium and you're healthy to begin with. So this new study that just was published in the New England Journal of Medicine 
took a look at um, urinary sodium uh, and surveys of diet in more than 100,000 people from 17 different countries over an average of over three years. And they found that those who consumed fewer than 3,000 milligrams of sodium a day had a 27% higher risk of death or a serious event like a heart attack or stroke in that period than those whose intake was estimated at 3,000 to 6,000 milligrams. So most Americans are actually already consuming that somewhere in that range between 3,000 and 6,000 milligrams a day. However, the American Heart Association recommends a lower intake below the 3,000, which is interesting because you get the highest risk of having a heart attack or stroke below 3,000 or above 6,000 milligrams in this study. So um, it's it's just interesting. I th- I'm interested to see how this is going to play out. You know, th- this is one study, and it is just showing a correlation. Um, it's it's observational. They didn't really um, they, they, manipulate they can't variables. Yeah, they didn't manipulate any variables. They just they merely observed things. And and it's interesting that they use the sodium excretion in urine as their measure. I don't know how uh, how reliably. That's really showing what's going on inside of your body right. and how that's showing you know, your, your like, serum, yeah, serum level of sodium or whatever might be more indicative, but it's a lot more invasive and it's harder to get the data. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I'd be really interested to know how much sodium I actually take in each day because we've been trained pretty well in, and we've made a lot of headway um, to understand how many calories we're taking in daily. And I can estimate that pretty accurately. Even if I'm just looking at a meal, I can normally get pretty close to the calories. Of course, there are deceptions in that case um but you know you can look at a piece of chicken and be like okay that's probably 200 calories and you can figure all these Mm -hmm. things out sodium no idea right no it's 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 crazy yeah you you really you wouldn't know unless you start paying attention to labels and you normally don't pay attention unless someone says your sodium's high and you need to watch it you know i i could be taking in 2200 or 6800 i i have no idea Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and be, being a dietitian or that I am, I uh, when my husband and I were on vacation about a month ago, uh, I pulled out a few different kinds of snacks and I had him guess the sodium content on them. And he was way off, like the Trader Joe's pancake mix, okay? Half a cup of pancake mix with nothing, nothing else added to it. What would you say is the sodium is content Is that like a large that? pancake? Yeah, that's like a large pancake. But that's say, before you put the salted butter on it. Right, right. I would say, I don't know... Uh, couple hundred milligrams 900 oh in one pancake yes so if you had two pancakes and a little butter you basically blowing your day out okay oh yeah and and now now let's say um a serving of fritos chips the little corn chips with what the salted corn i'll be conservative here and say six million (laughs) six million (laughs) oh my god they're salty as hell right yeah no like 160 milligrams so yep the pancake is way worse as far from a sodium content. Right. Well, don't so, doesn't like so a, you can't really trust your taste buds in determining sodium content. Because and even like a diet soda, doesn't that have like a couple hundred? Um, not a couple hundred. I think it's uh, it's below a hundred typically. So you want to hear something really nerdy? I actually can answer that last question um, because I was concerned about my sodium potassium ratio for a while. Uh huh. And you, it's very hard to do because potassium is not a required nutrient in labels right so you very rarely know what kind of potassium you're taking in but so i was focused on sodium and most sodas are in the 35 milligram range Mm -hmm. um but the 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 highest one that i found that i looked at was actually diet a and w which is 110 or something 
ridiculous. But generally, the diet sodas have more sodium than the non-diet for probably obvious flavor reasons. Right. If you but have a yeah, lot of sugar, so yeah, you don't need as much. Generally, salt. sodas are in the third for a can. Uh huh. It's about right. thir- a serving, eight ounces or whatever those stupid things. You no, know, it's yeah. usually the foods that that don't taste that salty that get you into trouble. Like a slice <laughs> of a slice of bread. I was looking at a uh, like a hot dog bun that I bought at Costco, and that had three hundred sixty milligrams in, in the one hot dog in bun. one thing. Yeah. Well, they, I think one of the people who are the the completely non processed food zealots. Uh, that's one of the big things they tout is 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 there's so much salt in processed foods, right? Mm-hmm. For preservative yeah. reasons, for taste reasons, all these sort of things, it's very easy to, to creep that up. So it might be a, another reason not to uh, to limit your your processed food intake. Right. Well, anyway, you know, in light of this new research, um, th- this is this is fairly new. This this was just published today, and there are a few other studies that are coming out too. Some that some that are challenging that, saying that very high intakes of sodium are still linked to uh, increased risk of heart attack and stroke. And you know, this this study isn't saying that that's not true. It's not questioning the sodium's effect on cardiovascular risk. It's just saying that extremely low levels shouldn't necessarily be recommended either. Um, but for now, uh, the American Heart Association is sticking with its guns and it's not changing its recommendation. Um, and World Health Organization is on board with that too. The recommendation is still currently to stay below 2,300 milligrams a day if you're healthy. Um, but the good news is if, if you have an intake that's somewhat higher than that, but not you know crazy out of the range, which um, apparently the U.S. government, according to the CDC website, 95% of Americans are below 6,000 milligrams a day right now. Um, so it looks like most people are in pretty good shape right now. And my hope in all of this is that as the research comes out, hopefully we won't have to restrict sodium in kids' school lunches so much because it's becoming very, very difficult to find any foods that kids will actually eat that, have, that fall in a reasonable range. <laughs> That that the the law is currently suggesting. Yeah, because if you make it too unpalatable, they're just going to be sneaking in their snack packs from home and their things, and they're eating it anyways. You know right. what I mean? So. Yeah, the the food waste will be incredible. You know, you can't give a kid a broiled piece of chicken and some plain salad without dressing and expect them to eat it. <laughs> you, can't, you can't give me that. Yeah. yeah. Um, awesome. Well, thanks, so Carolina. Just for laughs, I um I looked up my my lunch. My sodium intake for lunch, uh-huh. and it was right around four thousand. Oh, what was it? It was a single hamburger at Jack in the Box. Oh my gosh! And yeah. the uh, the processed accompanying food. well, and then the accompanying Did you dip it tacos. In soy sauce or something? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you look at the some of these things on their their published nutritional website, the sirloin cheeseburger is twenty four hundred by itself. Yeah. So, it, there and there isn't a single burger on here that's below eight hundred. Oh wait, no, I lied. They're single tiny hamburgers, seven hundred. Right. That. Geez, that's two and a half pancakes. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, yeah. I would. I really wish Dell was here because I wanted him to do the story. Do you guys know that there? So remember how I I lost my mind early this year or last year when they uh there was the whole um uh we can we can visualize hydrogen bonds. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they got a new camera, so if you've got like a a six thousand dollar Canon for professional sports photography, 
that will do like 12 pictures a second, 12 frames per second. If you have a crazy high-speed camera where if someone hits you in the face with a water balloon and you can see every little detail, those are at the most like 10,000 frames a second. They have a new camera that can detect chemical reactions in the process, visualize them. No. So we'll say like, like uh, you know, uh, uh, carbon dioxide forming in the presence of whatever, right? Um, guess how many frames per second this camera can do? So we know that 10,000 frames a second is a very high, top-of-the-line high-speed camera you can get for, for whatever. One 18 million. million. 1 million, 18 million. Um, God, we're jerks. Like, yeah, we let's are. be honest. We're jerks. Uh, well, Christian, you are off by nearly a thousandfold. 4.4 wow. trillion. Jiminy Christmas. Oh, I'm sorry, a million. Because that would be billion, then trillion. You, yeah. You, Caroline was off by 4.4 million. And we both thought we were being buttheads. And we're... Yes. So, but I haven't seen any images from this yet, but I'm like desperate to. It can, right it can literally right? capture a chemical reaction happening and visualize it at 4.4 trillion. Now, naturally, it's not going to be capturing like a whole second. I think 4.4 trillion played back at 60 frames a second. It would probably take you hundreds of years to watch one second. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, but uh, it's, uh, I'll have to do that math because that would be interesting. Um, I'll actually, I'll do it right now. Everyone's going to listen. 4.4 trillion. Billion is 10 to the 9, so 10 to the 12. So 4, 4, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. 60 frames a second divided by 60. So you'd get that many per second. We'll say per minute divided by another 60. Divided by 24 for the day. Divided by 365 for the year. Um and then, oh, geez, so we'll say a 1,000 years, so divided by 1, 0, 0, 0, 1,000 years. Okay, it would take you 1.395 million years <laughs> to watch <laughs> to watch at 60 frames a second to watch a 4.4 trillion frames per second film. To watch one second of that, God. it would take you 1.3 million years. So I uh, have some pretty good editing software to come <laughs> right? One little meaningful bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, they probably are literally capturing for, like, like picoseconds. You know what I mean? So, um, oh anyways. So cool. I just nerded out there. So uh, Yeah, I want to see a video of that. I do, too. As soon as I can find one, I'll, I'll show you. All the stories I found about it just uh, had text, and so there's a conspicuous lack of actual video evidence of this. So. All right. Tweet. Wow, look at us. We're at like under an hour. I know. High five. 40, I've got 47 minutes. We rock. Nice. We rock. Nice, tidy show today. Um, all right. We're back in the groove, so um, I really hope we can do a show next week. I've got a big presentation the following next Friday, but I'll do my best to make it. So, we can always record after it. All right. Awesome. Thank you for listening. Yes. Yeah. You are loved. I love me. Seems inappropriate. Somehow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Bye, listeners. Peace out. Bye.